This is the one with the man who fell to earth. Lemonade on tap. Dolls with comical expressions. Mother Christmas. The yellow fort. Hammocks that have developed a fault. And lots of happy tears. It's called The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe. Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Pass. I'll forgive you because it's Christmas yet again and because it's so predictable. I am but one of four co-hosts tonight who will be reviewing N088, The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe, the 2011 Christmas special. Jingle, jingle, jingle. To my left, jingling her bells, is... Marie! To my diagonal, stuffing his sack, is... Leon. Directly opposite me, sneaking down his chimneys, is... Jim. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And I am Drew back when... Excellent branding. So, chaps, is this going to be the best Christmas episode ever? (laughs) What's the bar we have to address? Probably the runaway bride, surely, I mean. Go on, top that. Top that if you can. Uh, Last Christmas is pretty good. I feel like I'm maybe in the minority with this one, but I really like last Which Christmas. Which one was last Christmas? Capaldi and Santa Claus and Alien and Inception. Oh, yeah, that was quite I quite like that one. Mm. Yep, that's it. Right. <laughs> Ragnos? Ragnos. No, I'm kidding. Really? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just listen to the review. I am kidding. <laughs> so the runaway bride has swept the table in conclusion. Okay. <laughs> should, we, should we jump into a B-scale and hope some momentum comes after that? <laughs> Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. After saving the juicy, ripe, defenceless Earth from yet another takeover bid by aliens, safe in the knowledge the Doc will have already died a mere 73 years hence, Doc drops in on Madge Arwell, local cycle and car crasher, for a bruising perusal of the town's police boxes. Three years later, heroic husband Reg appears to have stiffed his last upper lip over the channel on his way back from a bombing raid, leaving Madge and the kids to seek solace over Christmas in demented Uncle Digby's palatial pile. There they encounter the caretaker, a cross between Mary Poppins and the Animaniacs, who's rigged every room with all the distractions from mortality two unsuspecting gutter snipes could ever wish for. Cyril, however, not being blessed with inhibitory control, sneaks into one of the gifts beneath the tree a few hours early, leaving Doc, Sister Lily, and Mega Mum to pursue the prying peeper who is precipitously no longer <coughs> present. <laughs> Be over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? Where to start, you're about to ask. Well, there's a prequel to this one as well. Ooh, oh, really? Yes. Is it also just a glorified ad? Well, it's slightly more valuable than the last one. Okay. But not much. The All Doctor right. is on the ship that explodes at the very beginning... He's got his finger on a big red button that once he releases it, will start the explosion. And he seems to be calling up Amy. Oh. But it's a fake out. He's actually calling up the TARDIS as if Amy were in it. And he's just having a conversation with himself, with the TARDIS. It sort of sets up at the end where he's very happy to see Amy. 
but it's not really worth existing. Mm. And we also don't get to find out who these aliens... <laughs> no, they are never named. Right. Is, is the it the intercoms, us? that's what they're called. The intercoms? Yeah, because we only hear them over an intercom. I made that up, that's not true. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment there, I was thinking, oh, cramp, how, how do I visualize the intercoms in the Vindex? But okay, fine. <laughs> oh, very cool. Not the first time this question has been asked, but uh, Star Wars reference, anyone? Was anyone looking for a Star Wars intro the, sequence? The, yeah, the, the ship zooming over the camera. Yeah. And then that's about it. <laughs> well, we also have the Doctor Princess laying through space, if you're willing to accept Episode 8. Well, I'm willing to accept Episode 8. I don't think I'm willing to accept the Doctor <laughs> in that scenario. Too. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of pretending that bit didn't happen. So apparently there's a precedent for this, that because of his dual cardiac, what's, what's it called, the bicardio, whatever, his two-heart system somehow yeah. allows him to survive in the vacuum of space longer than us mere mortals. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, it also render him immune to the cold of space? It would explain why he's so cavalier about just... Yeah, yes, it would, because he's got double the heat pumping action going on in there. It would take him two full microseconds to die. Yes. Uh, yeah, quite. Okay. It's Christmas, though. It's a time for forgiving. <laughs> yeah, and relaxing the usual rules. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I didn't get Star Wars. What I did get was a mixture of Rose, Voyage of the Damned, Red Dwarf, and then once he actually hits the ground, Men in Black. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I, I, can I see think that. at this point there's just been a lot of sci-fi, so it's probably impossible to I don't see the Rose reference. Rose begins just looking at the planet, essentially. There's a lo- oh, long lingering shot of the planet. Okay. And where does Vadok land? We don't know where, but we do know when. Oh, when is it? Nineteen thirty eight. That's quite right. right, Marie. Well done, Marcel. Mm. Bravo. <laughs> I quite enjoy that intro sequence. As in, I, I enjoy that little introduction to whatever her name is. Madge. Madge. Yeah. yeah. Played by Claire Skinner. Indeed. Should we delve into Claire Skinner's backstory? Do it. Well, I mostly know her from Outnumbered. Which oh, okay. a sitcom written um, by Andy Hamilton for years and years and years, where she starred with Hugh Dennis as the parents of three kids, the middle one of whom is, is like a, a junior Tom Baker. Like, like they're, they're almost identical in, oh, in really? face shape and curly hair. It's mad. But of more interest to this podcast is that apparently she was once in an episode of Woof. So, you know, call Rory. <laughs> <laughs> Here is squeals of delight. <laughs> well, she's made a, a great career at the intersection of comedy and drama. And I think she's pretty good in everything she does. As long as she's playing a mum. Well, she was good at she this. Is, she is very good at a mum. <laughs> yeah. She's so good and so prominent in this role that she gets the starring credits or co-starring credits in the intro sequence. Mm. It's pretty cool. This is now the third thing, third element of this episode that I have referred to as an intro sequence. In this case, I mean the opening credit sequence. Yeah. And we get to see the opening credit sequence again later on. Yeah. Oh, you mean the time vortex? Yeah. Yeah, time exactly. Vortex. Yeah. This is the last time that we get to see that, that opening credit sequence, by the way. Okay. Yeah. There's a new logo next time. There's like a year away from now. Yeah. The last episode we reviewed was 1st of October. And the one after this is the next September. Yeah. But in between, webisodes. Oh, really? Yeah, Pond Life. We'll do a bonus episode, I'm sure. Okay. Stay tuned, Podcast Land. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, while we're going around the family, Dad, Reg, Armstrong. Alexander Armstrong himself. Yeah. Whom we have encountered on uh, Who Back One before. 
Yes, we have. He voiced Mr. Smith, the computer, Sarah Jane's computer. I did. And he's mm. also Mr. Smith in the whole Sarah Jane Adventures uh, spin-off series. All 48 episodes. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but that's not the most high-profile voice Alexander Armstrong has done. He's the new Danger Mouse, guys. Oh. Why are you all leaping in? Goodness. <laughs> When I saw Armstrong in this one, I immediately went online and had a look at, uh, to see if Miller had ever been on Doctor Who. And he has. And yeah. I'd completely forgotten about this. He's the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robots of Sherwood. Yeah, so uh, both Armstrong and Miller. Yeah. Pretty, pretty and cool stuff. You know why Alexander Armstrong is actually a far better choice than noted cameo hog Mark Gatiss, Gatiss. to voice a World War II pilot, right? Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know what we're talking about? No. Why is that? The Armstrong and Miller show had World War II pilots. Uh, who talk like chavs, uh, like teenage oh, chavs. Wow. They're really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm just up in the plane and shit. No glove. <laughs> <laughs> you can see all like my pants and this and that. Big styley. It goes on and on like that for hours. They're really, really good. <laughs> also, I'm not saying that Reg cheated with a mouse and his Danger Mouse's grandfather, but what other explanation is there? Because otherwise, how can he have the exact same voice as Alexander Armstrong? Oh. As Danger Mouse. Uh, question. Fast forward to the point where Reg is already dead and yada, yada, yada. They're now going to the house. This is mentioned in one line in the intro sequence to this podcast. Mm. Whose house is it? Or B-Scale? Uncle Digby's. Where's Uncle Digby? In, the, in a home. Yeah, Lily makes it very clear with a with a line of dialogue. Oh shit! <laughs> Wait, so they're they're expecting to go to an empty house? Yeah. No, I didn't get that there at is, all. No, there is meant to be a caretaker. Yeah, Mister Kaju, who is bound and gagged in one of the cupboards, <laughs> throughout, <laughs> screaming and straining at his bonds. So there is someone missing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good save. Great. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe cool. the doctor stowed him in that handy tunnel that's opposite the front door. Nobody saw that. No, the permanent yeah. tunnel in the bank opposite the I spotted door. that, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure what that was. But didn't it come back, so... I mean, maybe that was a shelter because it was yeah. the war? No, but isn't that the point? Aren't they going out of, into the countryside so that they don't need a shelter? Well, I don't know. If you're rich, you can't take too many precautions. Yeah, I'd have liked to see some, some tunnel action, or at least some explanation. Yeah. It was far too interesting not to address. Yeah, absolutely. I did not notice that. Well, yeah, not for you two. Yeah, so far, <laughs> not very observant here. So, okay, fine. Digby, yada, yada, yada. We've met the mum. Who are the kids? Cyril and Lily. Lily, you say? Well. <laughs> uh, yes. Lily was played by Holly Earl. Yes. Now, Leon, you have a thing about child actors and, uh, and how they should be CGI'd. So what was your opinion of Holly Earl? I was okay with Holly Earl. She, she wasn't so much of a kid. Like, her kid brother is already too young to be in front of a camera. She's kind of borderline. Were you okay with very Holly few lines. Earl? Because she was actually 19 when she filmed this. Oh, really? Oh, <gasps> that explains it. <laughs> no. Yes, oh, that she was. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. And that oh. totally explains it. That's yeah. why I'm okay she with her. She was as old as Yaz is supposed to be <laughs> in the current series. <laughs> oh, Wait, Played Yaz is supposed to be 19? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's not what I was going to say about... Li oh, sorry, go ahead. She's a very petite actress, because she looked, like, child-sized. She is tiny. Yeah. She's, the doctor grabs her hand loads of times, yeah. and it's so small. It's really <laughs> tiny. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, well, that explains why I'm, I'm willing to accept her on screen. But that's not what I was going to say about Holly Earl. Holly Earl has played the role of Lily twice. <gasps> oh! Once in this episode that we're talking about today, and once in an audiobook by Big Finish Productions called The Chartwell Metamorphosis. 
which is the fourth and final story in <clears throat> The Churchill Years, Volume 1. Uh, what? Oh, yes. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Just forced, <laughs> forced Drew to listen to all of those volumes. <laughs> yeah, Volume 1 of I Don't Know How Many. You but that's the fourth one of Volume 1, so imagine how many stories there are. Oh, sugar. Is that the same guy who plays Churchill in the... TV episode. I'm going to say yes, because we've even encountered him in another audiobook that we reviewed, which had nothing to do with Churchill. I can't remember what that one was called. I really hope we haven't inadvertently plagiarized anything. <laughs> Fairly unlikely, you'd yeah, hope. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think we're safe. And if we aren't, big finish. Come get us. <laughs> so we've also got in this, we've got Bill Bailey. <gasps> oh, my God. Mm, yeah. Who I, actually, I love Bill Bailey, but Me I thought, too. He, thought he was actually a bit shit in this. Ditto. Yeah. I thought Bill Bailey was very Bill Bailey in this, but far too briefly. If yeah, it felt underused. Yeah, because like, you've you've got and um, what's the woman's name as well? Arabella Weir. Yeah, you've got all these like really great British comedy actors and actresses. And Arabella Weir, a far show alumna. Yeah. Yeah. And and was the guy the other guy from anything? I didn't recognise him. No. I didn't. He is apparently name. called Paul Baisley. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> Oh, no, I have to dream about Paul Casey. No. <laughs> what? Yeah, hang on, we'll get to that. Arabella Weir has been mentioned. She is, or was, the first female doctor. She portrayed, I'm reading this off TARDIS Wikia, an alternative alcohol-addled female incarnation of the doctor in Exile, which is an audiobook adventure by Big Finish as well. Oh, that sounds like tremendous fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah doesn't it? <laughs> This guy we don't know, though, Paul Baisley, he's only in bloody Star Wars The Last Jedi. He's not. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Really? As, as, like, some First Order officer. But <laughs> Blurg. <laughs> I think his, his biggest credit is Benadorm. Great. I look forward to him appearing at OxCon 4. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Let's ask him the same question the person in front of us asked him just a moment ago. Uh, can, we get, can we get back to Bill Bailey, please? Yes. Get, Must we? Yeah, wait, hang on. I, I've got something to say about Bill Bailey. It's Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey is amazing. Bill Bailey, who, please, go if you're not familiar with this already, go on YouTube, Bill Bailey, Dr. Key. He did a Doctor Who song. It's on YouTube. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Bill Bailey is fantastic. Yeah, his stand-up's great. He's yeah. reliably funny on QI and all manner of panel shows. Black books. Spaced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Bill Bailey Bagshot. Exactly. But do you not feel like he was wasted here? Like he should have had his own, he should have been a companion for an episode. He absolutely should have. It would have been better. He, the mental reference I made was to Nick Frost as Santa Claus, mm. probably because of space or whatever, so that connection, but relatively similar level of fame and recognition, but Bill Bailey gets nothing. Mm. Yeah. He gets All he got to, to do was his mildly irritated accent. And then he beams out of there, mm. which is a bit of a shame. Mm. I think that entire subplot is a bit of a shame. Like, it's so tiny. And they've thrown a couple of big names in there. The Forest Rangers. Yeah, is that what we're calling them? Yeah, I think they call that. Hang on, I'll look for I that. think they definitely needed some extra cast in this episode. If it they hadn't been there, it would have been very thin indeed. But but for, to literally pop up in like three scenes, which are probably less than a minute each. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it is pathetic. Mm. And actually, some of the worst writing went in those scenes. Yeah, I thought. But I mean, that's why I hated Bill Bailey in this because the lines of dialogue he gets are they're terrible to deliver and he delivers them pretty badly so mm. it's a bit of a shame really sorry bill oh. love you ever stuff yeah we do love you bill yeah and come back to doctor who and play a different part yeah mm. we'll write an audiobook for you <laughs> <laughs> well they, they obviously spent <laughs> leon is nodding <laughs> eyes we're, wide <laughs> we're doing this 
Like they spent a lot of time thinking about this setup of them mining a forest through melting it down with acid rain. And, and then they don't do anything with it. They've given them this fairly unique looking armor gear setup and a weird little walker. And you know, there's a lot of effort went into that and it's barely used. Like they could do a spin off with that, surely. Yeah. yeah, agreed. All the plot holes also appear in connection with that. I mean, there are. There are more plot holes, okay. But, okay, so you're melting down trees into battery fluid with acid rain. Now, if a tree is full of battery fluid, you would think its cells had developed some sort of resistance to acidity that didn't mean it just dissolved. Uh, Maybe there's a reaction uh, or something. science... Oh, science. Sorry, I forgot about science. Okay. Also, space rain. There is a... Oh, that's true. I don't know what that rain is made out of. Space water. Of space course. Water. Of space, course. Yes. Space precipitation. There's a possibility that more background has already been delivered about these... I looked them up. Harvest rangers is what they're called. Because they come from Androzony Major, or Androzony Major, as in the caves of Androzony, or Androzony, however you pronounce it, who cares? Classic alien legendary episode so half of the people at least half of the people who watched this have never seen the classic episode yours truly included but maybe there is a backstory and you know the a role for these harvest rangers that we have yet to encounter on, on who back when okay so next point uh-huh who would design this harvester at at walker to be impossible to drive and then it breaks the first time it falls over I, oh, yeah. I feel like it melts through the acid rain. You it, think? It kind of, well, it, A, it did fall over on its side, which is probably not designed to do, and then, then it kind oh, of Oh, so it's only got bit. the acid shielding on the very top. And if, if the rain is coming sideways, then it's just totaled. Well, they, they beam out of there, and they don't beam the walker out of there. But the walker is the harvester, I thought. No. What's the walker doing there, then? What are they doing there? I don't know. Wait, that's <laughs> a super good question. What are they doing there? <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> maybe, How did this not dawn on any of us? Maybe <laughs> they were setting off some, like, seed rockets that actually create the acid rain. No, they're coming from satellites. Is that what happened? Yeah, they yeah. say. Maybe they fired the satellite. I don't know. <laughs> you can't do that from space. <laughs> uh, potential theory. They read life signs, like bipedal life signs on the surface... And yeah. therefore went beamed down yeah, to check beamed it down out for a chat and then to leave her there. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> it make any sense in any direction? No, it makes no sense. Why would they? No. <laughs> oh, that's definitely striking a couple of decimal points off my score. Mm. That's pretty shit. Okay, yeah, I, I don't think it can be just prey to the acid rain. It ca- it can't. They 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 would have built out something if if I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of equipment to just leave to disintegrate. It's like the people who have um, little diggers building a um, basement floor in London houses. Who Was it one of you guys who told me this? It's probably me. I got on about Jim, it from time yeah. to time. <laughs> Jim loves this fact. <laughs> <laughs> Such a cool thing. Wait, do you want to tell it to Podcast Land? Well, Podcast Land. <laughs> Did you know that when rich people in London build a pool underneath their apartment, they dig out with a little mini digger and then they just bury the digger because it's far too complicated to get out again. That's exactly what the uh, Harvest Rangers are doing here. They're walking around with this tripod, whatever, the walker, the Atats, doing something, and then they're just leaving it there. And of course they would because they're rich, because the battery fluid is the most powerful fuel in yeah, the Yeah, they're big battery. 
I just can't believe that they just leave the poor woman there to die. It's like, you are going to be killed. Why would you point a gun at her? Like, oh. They're leaving her to die anyway. Yeah, what do they, what do they, they think, ooh, there's a whole conversation about her, like, coat being wool and some arms, and they think that she's... Yeah, she might be. A, there's right, a, there's a strong attempt at jokes around wool, and I don't think any of them mm. land very well. I quite liked the <laughs> the twist ending of that scene when she pulls the gun on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I quite like that. that That's good. good. Yeah. Claire Skinner is good throughout. Yeah, but and I I liked that her terrible crying was actually fake. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. at the time I was like, Jesus Christ, that's some bad acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the yeah. other guy, the non-famous guy, his fake crying was not fake. It was just of, bad yeah. crying. Was yeah. just bad it was crying. bad crying. Yeah. But, it, but it was humorous. But it was like panto-level bad crying. Mm. Yeah, Claire Skinner probably started off crying too well. Everybody on set just broke down and Moffat's like, no, please, make it more fake. I <laughs> 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 Looking at my notes, <laughs> sorry. So there's one corker of a line in this episode, which I think gets thrown around in trailers a lot. I'm not sure. Okay. Which I don't know if everyone will agree with me is the is the one corker, but it's um, when the doc's trying to comfort Madge and she's getting all a bit twisted about whether she should tell the kids that Reg has died, and Doc's like, "What's the point in them being happy now if they're going to be sad later?" The answer, of course, because they're going to be sad later. So you have to give them a little bit of happiness. Yes, that was a good line. And I'd like to clarify something I said in the previous episode. Uh-huh. That is Moffat writing emotionally resonant stuff, pretty stuff, which he gave to River last time. I didn't mean to say, oh, look, it's River. Isn't she pretty? She talk pretty. Lady talk pretty. I meant to say <laughs> Moffat also has that within his range. Yeah. And he did that last time. And he also does it very well here. Yeah, the emotional stuff is is really well done the emo- in general. It got me. To, yeah, the um, ending with the when like she's watching Reg on the yeah, screen. Yeah, me too. Like, I was in mm. tears. Like I've yeah. seen this multiple times. I knew Reg wasn't dead. <laughs> I cried. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Just the scene with Reg and the whatever he is, co-pilot mm. or something, Bomber, who shows up in the, in the cockpit. Mr. Put, Anderson. I'm Mr. Put, Anderson. Putting a pin here, but carry on. Okay, yeah. But even that scene was really, really powerful. Yeah. He's like, he knows. Oh, he's he's now sacrificing. It's all like, well, he knows that they're all just done for. They've all bought yeah. it exactly. Oh no, it's, it's a super powerful scene. Yeah. Tell him we're going home for Christmas. Oh, Madge just kills me every time she comes on. She looks a bit sad, and I just break down. Yeah, You're right. That's the power of Claire Skinner. She's she brilliant. made me well up. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, please stop crying. I can't interrogate women in crying. <laughs> that was pretty good funny. Line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The only two episodes I have ever welled up or cried out of Doctor Who have both involved wooden people. Wait, what's really? the other one? Knock Knock. Which one's that? That's the one in oh, with series uh, two. Suchet. Yes. Oh yeah. Where his there are his know, daughter is his mother or whatever yeah. it is, and she is also made out of wood because of the cockroach weevils. Yeah, yeah, in like a ghost house ish. Yeah, where Bill and her student friends are. Exactly, wanting. yes, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of House on Haunted Hill, but with David Suchet. They're, they're the only two episodes that you've welled up at. Yes. You're I'm, the heart of wood. I'm hard as nails. It's very specific. <laughs> hard as wooden stakes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Anyone got anything happy to say? Oh. Yeah, okay, here's the thing. Uh, he said he'd keep on following me until I married him. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh, really? Some persistent wooing. <laughs> wait, wait. This, was, this was a happy thing? <laughs> it worked, didn't it? I figured I'd throw a dot uh, at my notes and wherever it landed, it would be a... a... 
slightly happier and notes. It, it jumped out of your notes and landed on my creepy stalker red. Yeah, it's note. definitely. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> creepy stalker material. I did wonder when she said when yeah she was telling the story. I was like, I don't think they'd be able to write this if this was coming out this year. Like, yeah, no. this is not okay. It's not okay. It wasn't written as commentary either. It wasn't written in the sense of like, oh, you wouldn't get away with this today. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Sorry, I cut you off there. Sometimes some people see other people that they like and it works out and we needn't all be madly averse to each other as human beings. I think the, the thing is the setup is probably really innocent and she she knew that he was behind her and they knew each other and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah. the phrasing of it it's just is right, just right. so bad. <laughs> but it's, but I feel Followed like... me home every day. <laughs> yeah, well, in 1941, she's not going to go hashtag me too, is she? <laughs> But I feel like the only reason they phrased it like that was so they could bring it back around at the end because he then says, oh, look, Reg followed you through yeah. the vortex. And so then it kind of clicked and it's like, oh, okay, that's why they've done yeah. it. When he was um, following the star. Yeah. Christmassy. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. <laughs> so that's about a good time actually to come back to that pin I put in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. So this RAF bomber. Uh-huh. He, Lancaster. Is, he is not the only person on this plane. So where the fuck do the others go? Like one guy, one guy was uh, they're still on, on board death's door. Pissing themselves because they've seen the inside of the time vortex. <laughs> but yeah, we get him coming out of the plane and seeing his family. That's okay. Like they could, they could be wandering around in the background or just sat on the plane going, oh, that's Reggie's family. Okay, great. Maybe they are um, on the plane. We but then we, inside the we cut straight to him celebrating Christmas. There's no kind of mention of, oh, they've gone home to their families who are worried sick about yeah. them or anything they're, like this. They're being court-martialed because they clearly escaped the war. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I feel like just a one line in there would have been nice to whatever he was, Mr. Anderson. I Anderson's think. in a field hospital. Yeah he's, yeah, he's resting up now. He's fine. Like something like that would have been great. Or just uh, have, like, have, have a, a shot of him looking out of the cockpit. Just sort of, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. in fright. A bloody hand reach. Like, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Or just blood dripping from the plane into a pool on the ground. It's like, oh, shit, Anderson. That's right. <laughs> or have Reg now absorb a loft Anderson into himself <laughs> as a consequence of traveling through the time vortex in a, an old timey bomber plane. Like, that's not safe. It seems a lot of things can just travel through space under the time vortex safely, including a spaceship made out of wood. We have a recent precedent for this. Oh. In Audio Who, where the headhunter was chasing the Doctor and Lucy through the time vortex, wherever the TARDIS was going, via its time wake. So the Lancaster bomber just slotted into the time wake and slipstreams at Christmas Day. This is Bill and Ted again. That's fair. What? Don't people follow the telephone box? Ooh. They all clutch onto it, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Oh, good, nice. Bill and Ted. Oh, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to say that Arabella Weir was also in How to Be a Little Sod with Rick Mayle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rick Mayle. He was the little sod. Surprising nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs beds when you've got hammocks? No. Well, exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So what did we think of the Doctor's Mary Poppins zany act? I liked it. I don't know. I thought it was a bit random because like, she's going along, he's going along with the facade of like, let's just pretend everything's holly and ha- happy and jolly and like have the best Christmas ever. And then as soon as it's over, oh, sorry, Dad's dead. Like, I don't know. It's does, like he, a bit of a weird... does he know that Reg has, has died? I think he's meant to. I think he does, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, mm, she tells him, though. Because it works both ways. Either he knows and he's trying to make up for that, sort of give them the best Christmas ever as compensation for for having lost Reg. I don't really buy this. I still think 
they're going to event at some point discover when he died and then realise mum lied to us and that best Christmas ever is going to end up being the Christmas that we were betrayed. Yeah, I agree, actually. Like, that that whole concept a, is, yeah. is very fraudulent. But, yeah. but I don't know. They will come to understand their mother's best intentions for them. Really? I, think, I think when she wished... She was wishing silently, please let the children still have a good Christmas somehow. And that's what the Doctor came to deliver on. Yeah. Because the Doctor has chosen this particular time. He didn't yeah. have to wait three years to do this. Well, he's just responding to her wish. He wasn't sat there waiting. Was... So this is then the magic of this being a Christmas yeah. special. Yeah. Like, there's that element of it doesn't have to make perfect sense. It has to be sort of romantic in a way. It has to have that sense of... Christmas majesty. Well, yeah, she, she wishes and it gets amplified through the telescope, which bounces off the moon, hits the TARDIS, <laughs> catches it in mid-arc, and he beams right down. Simple. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, in general, in answer to your previous question, I did like it, and I think this episode, it, it gets worse and worse as it goes along, <laughs> meaning it starts off really, really well, and this is still Act 1, yeah. and... It still has that Doctor Who feel-good Christmassy vibe to it. And you're very receptive to all these silly shenanigans of the Doctors. Then Act 2 is already kind of going downhill, and then Act 3 is a massive letdown. I mean, by comparison, by comparison, yeah. It's not a... Yeah. In my mind, that's how it is. See, in my mind, Act 2 is slightly creepier and more claustrophobic, and then Act 3 is is a real depression fest, or a real heartstrings tug. Mm. So maybe... Maybe it's only upon analysing later that you experience that, but I thought watching it at the time, I didn't really notice that. I noticed the continuous plot holding, but I didn't notice it became a massive letdown. Letdown is sorry, it's it's a harsh expression for it, but it seems as though they're building up lots and lots, so they're putting a lot of emphasis on singular plot points. And then as time goes on in this episode, they have less and less time left. So they have to devote less and less time to tying up all of those loose ends. So towards the end, everything gets a a way too speedy a resolution or no resolution at all. The example being like, let's set up Bill Bailey and his compadres, then let's just beam them out. Mm. Or let's have, oh, we have all this drama set up with the family. Oh, they just arrive and problem solved. Yeah. Oh, you know? what happens to the trees? Oh, well, they chose this particular moment to transmute into a sub-etheric wave band of light, which sounds like the sort of thing you could do anywhere, anytime. Yeah, and let's not explain that in any way, and let's not give it a precedent. So that's what I mean. Like, they build everything up, but then they've painted themselves into a corner where, like, there's no more time. We, like, how, yeah. unless we make this a three-hour episode, we can't balance out the uh, the acts yeah. so act three becomes this like oh shit we've we've mentioned <laughs> them so let's just tie that up oh we mentioned them let's have them beam out let's mention you know because yeah. uh, especially the tree the king and queen the tree people looked so cool and there was all this build up to them and like you didn't know if they were good or evil and yeah, yeah it was just then i don't know they just what what like what what did happen to them oh yeah they they didn't die they just became lifeless wood and they just turned back into wood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The figures yeah. just fell on their sides, and, the, and that's it. And the idea that all the all these life forces of the trees are now just stars—it's like, oh, okay. I Hanging out with Kylie, live in a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but I we don't. They would have deposited them in a different forest or something. Like, yeah, exactly. Go find a wood like, on Earth. This is not the same. Like, yeah, it, yeah. What you said—the the second theory—that was my theory throughout. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, there's forests surrounding. The They're house. in the countryside. They exactly. Could, they could be the, all of a yeah. sudden. Every every tree should have you know lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They could have yeah. taken. Oh my god! And how Christmassy would that have been? Super Christmassy. You get back and it's snowing and there's lights in the trees. That would have been yeah. amazing. Wait, it doesn't even snow. No, it doesn't even 
does snow. It yeah. doesn't even snow. Yeah. They could have taken a dead forest that had been bombed by the Nazis <gasps> and just the bare trunks are standing and the lights all Bring go into them life. and they sprout and there's snow. And oh my goodness. Oh, that would have been so oh, much better. Nazis can't keep yeah. Christmas back. Oh, they could have done this. <laughs> Decimal yeah. points. Churchill's, yeah. Decimal Churchill's points. flying by, just leans out from the plane. <laughs> around Andorist. <laughs> Churchy! <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Did someone mention the wooden king and queen? Oh, yes. Oh, we've encountered them before. <laughs> Not them, per se. The, uh, the actors. The wooden king is play- played by Spencer Wilding. Okay. Uh, whom we encountered in the God Complex. He was also the Minotaur. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I take it he's small and of slender frame so that he can fit into almost any humanoid suit. <laughs> Possibly. Or he's gigantic and he's the... <laughs> oh, is that a picture of him? His body paint. No, this is the Queen I was just looking oh, at. Oh, okay, yeah. Paul Casey. Oh, Paul. Paul Casey, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? He is... Okay, again, from TARDIS Wikia. He is, as of 2013, the one actor to have appeared the most times in the revived Doctor Who and Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures. He has, he holds the record. He is a lot of things. Yeah. Hmm. He's, he's an Auton, a Slovene, an Android, a Clockwork Man, a Cyber Leader, an Ood. Is he a Pig Man? He's like, come on, come on, Pig Man. Probably. <laughs> he's Hero Pig Man. What? He's Hero Pig! <gasps> he's Hero oh, Pig! Amazing. We talked about Hero Pig! That was this dude. That was Paul Casey. <laughs> Hero Pig! <laughs> Paul Casey has been in 32 Doctor Who episodes, 13 Torchwood, and 18 Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, bravo. Wow. Okay, so. Yeah. That's more than Marquesas. <laughs> just barely, just barely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were neck and neck and then this one episode of Sarah Jane came out I'm very jealous of this guy actually I was going to say that's quite an impressive he's, he's also been in 28 Days Later <gasps> in Rogue One wow oh yeah. oh and what's the other Star Wars one uh, episode 7 episode 7 mm. yeah lots nice. of stuff oh and Last Jedi oh so he's too good for Doctor Who now is he getting all these big movie <laughs> credits so I think the problem is that in Act 1, all of Matt Smith's clowning is just too majestic to ever be cut. It's just like, more, more. I'm going to write more scenes in which you can bang into stuff and, and gesticulate wildly. Yeah. And, and we'll worry about the ending later because people will be crying and they'll just want the crying to end and the queen to come on or whatever. <laughs> and it's, it's like, a bit of a from him. Yeah, they'll, they'll... It's Christmas Day. We're all just like stuffed and napping. Yeah, as long as they switch on the channel at the beginning, yeah. we get the ratings yeah. and the caps. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to captivate them first. That's why the first like intro bit in the first couple of minutes is like, bam, this is like the James Bond jumping out of the helicopter in the Olympic ceremony. Yeah, well, I could have quite happily oh, yeah. cut that. <laughs> yeah. Like the budget they must have spent. Much. Just yeah. ma- making that CGI ship and they probably reused a set for him to run down a corridor and they explode. But like, there's still money going to waste there that they could have... <laughs> Fleshed out the rest of the story and stuff. Ah, now, speaking of budget and reuse, okay. I have a few points to make. Oh, oh, here we go. We've already touched on that they reused the Time Vortex, which is lovely and cheap. You just have to take the TARDIS out of it and you can just use the opening credits for about a minute of footage. I, I like that. I liked it. A nice little nod. To yeah. The, yeah. That, exactly. Seen. That would be fine yeah. on its own. Oh, okay. However, oh. there are, I counted five separate exact same shots 
of zooming in on that blue box. In three minutes, when the kid is creeping around in the middle of the night about Cyril, about to oh, really? find his way into well, like in the living early. room. Oh, yes. the, the, shi- the glowing box. Yes. The Narnia box. The, box. the really creepy sounding box that is like, why, Doctor, why have you given this really creepy box to the children? And yeah, the creepy little box that whispers mm. to the children in the night. Yeah, that mm. one. So, um, What is whispering from the box, by the way? Uh, that's never explained. No. No, it's not explained. Yeah. No. But they use the exact same shot, exact same angle, exact same pan movement, mm. whatever, over and over and <laughs> over and over again. Oh. And then you have the shot from above of the forest. You have that twice, and that's exactly the same. They don't even flip it, mirror it. And at that point, I was just like, right, anything that's repeated, any Moffat plot point that gets repeated, like wooden people, I'm just going to react against. It's cheap and annoying. <laughs> so, yeah. I had not picked up on that. But you know what? What? Decimal points. Yeah. Decimal points. <laughs> shaving them Shedding. off. Yeah. Plane it off that <laughs> plank of wood. <laughs> so what about this box in the living room? So it has the whispers. You said they never get explored any further. Mm. Why because is the it doctor- seems it's an evil box. Anyone looking at that box knows don't go in that box. If the doctor's going to give them this Narnia box, yeah. is he then not going to go, well... Maybe before I give them the Narnia box, I'll find out where it leads. Yeah. No, he and knows exactly where it leads because he says he's been to that planet many times before. Oh, yeah, he does. So he's that. waiting for Christmas Day when all the um, baubles will have appeared overnight, I guess. He doesn't seem to... Oh, wait, and he, does be, he say that? Well, no, but the implication is like it's the land of Christmas. So the Christmas trees with baubles and lights and they make their own decorations oh that's yeah. true and, and then we go, see them growing so yeah. if they go from christmas eve they're not ready yet yeah so they have to go on christmas I day actually, when all the baubles have dropped i thought they reacted to people coming near them yeah i thought or, so too or or like even, even touching, touching it yeah because yeah. yeah. it only happens on two trees but he was very but he was very annoyed that they'd got there too early he also seems like he well, like he's surprised to see them he's like oh look at this but also and the first bauble turns into the Christmas tree king. But that's oh, be- yeah. That's like, because the entire forest is reacting to the incoming acid attack. So that's the thing the doctor didn't plan for. No, I know, but... Yeah. So the bauble grows a thing to, I don't know, to, to, so get, to, to, to get a human to transport them. All these baubles have the potential to become... It, like, does well, it- I think it's like this, this kind of... It's living wood. Like, it creates a building. Uh-huh. It, it creates... Because <laughs> 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 uh, the kid touches the bauble. Is that like his DNA sparks? And then it grows... I don't know if it, I don't know if it is that I don't know because they they're obviously they're they're sentient and they have this prophecy they're expecting stuff to happen yeah um, <gasps> can we pick it, a bit oh, no. I bet it is because yeah they're waiting for a human and so your as coming soon as, was foretold as soon as the human touches it it's like ah oh, god human we can lure him that was the whole point of yeah we've made a door they can't resist doors yeah let's pick that apart yeah <laughs> okay I re- I thought that was really cool actually I like the building made of trees. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. that is that is mm. very cool. Yeah. But why... Ah, okay, so you're waiting for... You're a tree, or a bunch of trees, and you're waiting for a biped to show up so that you can go like, here, wear this crown and carry your soul energy into space where they will go into space? Uh, who cares? Yeah, P.S. Our, our motives are harmless. <laughs> <laughs> why would you then walk away from the bipeds, construct this elaborate lighthouse thing made out of wood, and sit down and not move and wait mm. until the biped has gone upstairs to meet a different yeah. tree person to then wear the crown? 
why not just have a tree dude or dudette waiting and when a biped shows up and goes, oh, look at this cool tree. It looks like a person. Vam, fucking grab that kid. Yeah. Blonk a hat on it. Or just grow a door in every single tree. Exactly. And yeah. behind it is a compartment. Yeah. What if the person who has you stumbled... Would, you'd through- put it on. If you opened a door and there was a crown inside a tree, wouldn't you just put that crown on? Yeah, you'd be like, oh, I'm, turns out I'm the tree king. Yeah. I must have been foretold. <laughs> you, know what, you know what might persuade me not to put on the crown? If a fucking tree person <laughs> is handing it to me. Yeah. Walking in slow motion at you. Yeah. Oh, dude. Do you- the kid just sits in the chair. It's like, no, dude, you can run away from her. She's going at like, so slow super slow you can but it get does, away from this when Madge gets it it's like calling to her I yeah, think, I think, I think there is a kind of I think it speaks to the women it doesn't speak to the kid or the did, doctor it didn't at all to the kid I wasn't sure if there's there's still a light, light well the doctor couldn't hold it it was like ah it's too much yeah, I true. don't know but um, it feel, yeah, I feel like the women were drawn to it what do we think to this really ham-fisted feminism statement Oh, what? You're a female. That yeah. makes you strong. The mother's <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Matt Smith. <laughs> I quite like the mothership reference. That kind of saved that scene for me because the rest of the, like, the super mum stuff yeah. was way too ham-fisted. It was way too forced. Oh, I did like the line where um, Bill Bailey said, there's no way you could possibly convince me that I'm going to be scared. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for my children. And, and his <laughs> eyes. <are> <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of hated that. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't like that. It's, it's in my notes. It's in my notes. Marie? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't feel like oh, oh, you two. two we made two. for each other. The weird thing was that we were kind of arguing in a previous podcast that that kind of mother instinct, I think it was Marie's point, but I was, I was agreeing with you. Like that mother instinct is something you kind of expect to be portrayed. But it was just so cheesy and just like, oh God, yeah, she's mum with a gun. Like, that, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, it's so, I don't know. As soon as there's a mum with a kid, it's like, oh yeah, that mum's going to do anything for that kid. What were you talking about? Was it Amy not having a mother instinct? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's sort of like the that. other yeah. extreme. Apart from when she does and it makes her brutal. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's, so, it's, always, it's always a bit obvious when they're like, oh, look, I'm a mum, I'm going to do anything for my kids. I- including go through some sort of weird pseudo childbirth as she's carrying the forest energy on her head. Yeah. You mean I should do this until it hurts? And then oh. reenact childbirth? It seemed like she was sort of birthing the tree, the, the forest, whatever, into space. Oh, and the time vortex was a birth canal. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did like her line when she gets to the forest on her head there. It's like, one can't imagine being a forest. And then yeah. suddenly one can. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, but yeah. then there's a Moffat backslapping line, which is, this is all really rather clever. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine all the sycophants queuing up in the writer's room like, oh, you really should insert a line about how awfully intelligent it is. Can I have a cameo? Yes, Mark, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Give him some credit. It's really difficult to hold a pen steady when all of your blood is throwing is throbbing inside your oh fucking (laughs) (laughs) we can finish that sentence (laughs) so not narnia land Uh is this set up enough to warrant the title of the doctor the widow and the wardrobe did we expect more narnia-isms because basically it's just there's a, a doorway to a snowy forest yeah. That's pretty much it, isn't it? And that, well, yeah. he calls the TARDIS his wardrobe, which is a bit of a no. plug. Because I thought that, yeah, the kid, when the queen comes with the crown, it's like, oh, it's like Snow Queen and is it Peter and 
someone's going to bring some Turkish delight and it will be Narnia, but they don't even want the kid. No. The mum, so... Yeah, well, it's, it's allowed to be a twist and have a few parallels. I expected to there, there to be more to do in the forest in general, because, okay, if they go there on Christmas Day and the harvest is not there and it's all as it's meant to be, yeah. they rock up and they go, oh, this is nice, a snowy forest, completely <laughs> ordinary, we have these on Earth. Oh, wait, there are some baubles growing off the tree. That's great. Two minutes later. <laughs> can we go back to the room with the nice warm fire, please? Yeah. That was my bubba. No one seems to get cold. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's bothered how cold it is. We're all walking around in slippers. Uh, space no. Mm. Space no. Um, although, <laughs> um, thingy mum has her coat on. When does she go, have time to go and put a coat on when she's following her kids through the box? What? Yeah, you're right. Why would she go and... Um, oh. She might have it on in the house. She but might be why? using it like a dressing gown. Why? Because it's cold in the house. It's mm. big and drafty. Yeah. Mm. It's a palatial pile. <laughs> but, and Leon, uh-huh. note, this is the second episode in a row where time plays an integral role in the plot... Really? I'm going to need yes, a little really. bit... Cyril goes through the thing, and because of interdimensional transitions oh, or whatever, yeah, yeah. they 20 are 20 minutes past. behind. However, the mother should then be three weeks behind. Yes, oh, yes, 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 I thought that. Oh, that's so cl- I she was so much later. They literally yeah. saw him walk through and 20 minutes had passed, and she goes, like, what, at least 10, 15, minute, half an hour. I don't know how late she is. She should walk up to, like, a mid-20s dude and go, Hi, have you seen my little boy? <laughs> oh, like oh, in the second me. series of Reboot. Hardcore. <laughs> Or maybe the third series. Ooh, Enzo curious. grows up, he gets stubble. It's, it's very macho. <laughs> oh, that's a really good point. I had not thought about that at all. But I feel like that's not really a plot point. That's just, it's finagled in there as an excuse not to have them meet up immediately. That's just, it, it doesn't later on factor in. Like, there's not an inception level of, oh, but time moves in a, diff- right. a different pace here. How about the time vortex and he's home for Christmas because of the time vortex? How's oh, but wait, okay, hang on. He's a time traveller, so every episode has time in it. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I've got nothing more uh, I, I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> I just don't feel like it's... It, it isn't used as profoundly as a plot device as it is sometimes... Yeah, but it's there. It's, it's an effort. It is there. It is there. It is there. Sorry, I don't mean to be... Sorry. <laughs> it just does seem unnecessary, for, especially for, like, we've, we've picked up Reg, and he's, now he's travelling through time as well, and now we're all together on Christmas Day. Like, I don't know. Is it ever obvious that if the Doctor has gone just in space, not in time? Like, he goes to a different planet, and it's the exact same time, but because it's a different planet, we don't really care and know. Do you mean when he's, like literally traveling through space or when he's dematerializing and rematerializing at the same time yeah like if if he takes a companion off to a different planet like do we ever get a little nod that this is 2019 on this planet sort of thing because because they jump to this planet and it's i think it's the year 5345 i wrote down i don't know if that's right or not yep but yes they they make a little nod that they are way into the future so the humans that pop up as the, I forgot what they were called, the ranger people, uh-huh. um, are so, so far removed from the, the 1940s people. But yeah, this technology looks really similar to that plane that I was one time in and now can remember to how to fly. Yeah, I just, this is on a different I planet. just wonder, <laughs> like, did, did we even need to have the fact that no. there was this massive time gap? Like, no. No. They could have been aliens. Because that's it. If it's on a different planet, it doesn't matter that like trees have evolved yeah. to have souls or, you know, it's just a different... I just wonder how often planet. that happens, actually, where they, yeah. they, they throw in the fact that he travels in time and space. 
when really actually most of it it could just be space just a little side thought i had there i think he does always travel in time because he always goes to like the most interesting what are the odds that he's going to pick up a new companion and the most interesting thing that happens on this planet that's like however many light years away february 6th 2019 exactly yeah, yeah exactly the same time and day and Rizzoni. So he's yeah. at least going to jump forward like a few months. Or and something. he's always slagging like, off various days. So yeah. he can't land on a Sunday, no. probably not on a Tuesday. Tuesdays are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Mondays are right out. <laughs> it's only Saturdays. <laughs> I'm going to mention some things I like because we're in danger of just slating this, this yeah, episode. Go for it. Go for it. I really liked her long winded explanation to Cyril with her great faith in his powers of mental recall. And Cyril. Alexander Armstrong comes up, comes along and says, Where's Mummy gone? Out. out. I do. I like that as well. <laughs> I don't know, because I think I thought that I liked it, and then I thought, ugh, that kid's annoying. <laughs> and so I decided not to like it. What do you it. mean he's annoying? He's got a telescope. He's a wannabe Wilfred Mott. Oh. Yeah. But it doesn't age. It jumps forward three years, and he's still the same little midget kid with his big glasses and his telescope. Yeah, boys develop later than girls. <laughs> she doesn't either. Well, she's 19. She's, she's 19. barely developed at all. <laughs> yeah. But it just really bothered me when you're showing kids that young. You can you can tell the difference between like yeah. a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, whatever age. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but... Probably like 10. Don't jump forward three years. Jump forward like six months or something. I think he's supposed to be the exact same age as the kid was in Night Terrors, because Hugh Bonneville's kid on the pirates in space episode he yeah. had some more to do but otherwise they just sort of have little boys come on and say as little as possible and be like ah look cute yeah have, and have stupidly big eyes because they're wearing fucking magnifying glasses on like the- fucking elite battle angel <laughs> <laughs> he's the kid in jerry Maguire. yeah he is mm. small big glasses whatever yeah i'm sure he could have maybe he couldn't maybe he rocked up on set Maybe he's Mark Gatiss's son. <laughs> he's <laughs> Mark Gatiss. Mark Gatiss really likes wearing weird plastic stuff on his face to do cameos. That was Mark Gatiss. If people keep reading about Brexit, then it'll actually happen. Wait, what? He's oh. reading the newspaper. Uh, the war. No. Mm. Oh, let's all just stop reading then. Oh. <laughs> we'll relearn how to be nice to each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually called the doctor, sometimes the caretaker, or get off this planet. Quite like that. Yeah. yeah. Lily asks the doctor why you'd wire, rewire a wardrobe. And Doc says, have you seen the way I dress? Oh, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> I preferred, you were lying about the Panthers. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was, there was some good writing in this episode. There, was a, there yeah. were a lot there of good one-liners. I've, I've got a couple yeah. more good li- one-liners. Go when for the, it. When the Doc greets him at the door, so he's struggling to open it. It's the door, it's developed a fault crash <laughs> hammock has developed a fault crash yeah. or maybe the other way around his his utterly missing the hammock yeah that's so yeah. good such buffoonery <laughs> brilliant straight between both of them yeah. and then later on towards the end do what i do hold tight and pretend that there's a plan oh i love that one that's a good line grow up lily fairyland looks completely different <laughs> Yeah, the last stock line I quite liked was uh, got a bit clinchy in the middle there, but it worked out in the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite nice. He furnishes them with all manner of toys and gadgets and then also just throws in the Magna Carta for fun. Yeah. It's educational. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just sciencey wyancy. Ooh. Oh. You're thinking of the same line I'm thinking of, aren't you? <sighs> Can we say it at the same time? Okay. Three, two, one. Humany, woomany. Oh, blurg. <laughs> I joined in as well. I liked it. Oh, <laughs> you didn't. Oh, why? I did. Oh, defend Marie, yourself. did you? No. Oh, good. good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, explain yourself. Well, it's just a bit of fun. He's always going wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, all that kind of stuff. Humany wibbly. Why not? Um, why at all? It's so unctuous and and because uh. he's in love with humans through this episode. He's he's just like yeah, you you cry when you're happy. That's amazing. Oh, that like, humany wibbly. If he'd said peopley weepily, humany woomy. Okay, okay, that's oh, better. Yeah. No, that's the best rewrite. <laughs> Don, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best pun I ever made, and I didn't even realise. But yeah, it's just so ungainly, and and the shot comes in. It's like this is going to mean more than everything yeah. else in the episode to this point. It's yeah. like no. Sure, and surely Doc, in his like thousand years of living, has come across humans to cry happy tears before. Like, why is it? Why is he so confused? Yeah, is this happening classic? Who guys? I I took it more as just there's a lot of reason for sad tears, and he's just in awe that people cry. And we've happy seen the Doctor well. cry out of sadness before as well. Have we ever yeah. seen him cry out of happiness though? Maybe not. Because he's been hanging out with Stone Cold Amy and she doesn't know what happy tears are. (laughs) Stone Cold Amy. (laughs) (laughs) She's the one that gives him the happy tears, though. Come on. Why? Why? Because she sets a place for him at Christmas when the Brigadier always had a glass of brandy out for him. That didn't make him cry. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we're back to the Doctor just favouring Amy. Yeah. And also, Rory gets called Mr. Pond again, so the last series is reversed. Yeah. And he gives Amy the massive hug, and Rory's like, hello. And Doc's like, oh, you're here as well. We've done this. We've done whatever you're about to say, Rory, yeah. so just go inside and... <laughs> Rory, you're already <laughs> superfluous. On. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing that the new series does better with the TARDIS team. I don't think Jodie Whittaker has a really obvious favour yeah. for us to feel really bad for the other two. Nah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. That is true. Yeah. Do you, Marie, do you want to repeat your description of how Rory looked in this episode? Like a dad. He's such a it's dad. Got a, got a lovely cardi on. <laughs> and his, and his, his side-combed hair, or I don't know, something. It just looked that very dad-like. He did yeah. look older, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Stubbly-wubbly. I liked that he was arriving, expecting to be like, surprise, I'm alive, and Amy already knew. Yeah. I don't know. Did I like it? I'm just observing it. Yeah. <laughs> Repeating it. Just, yeah, it was there. <laughs> How do you feel about Rory's reaction, or, or lack of a reaction? Well, again, he already knew that he wasn't dead, so it's just, oh, you're back again. Yeah. Yeah. He's been pining oh, after oh, him. You're not dead, are you? In the same way okay, that cool. Amy did. Oh, that's true. Well, that's, no, that's that's I think he said years, the same though. line as Amy did. She said, oh, oh so you're not dead You're yet. not dead then. And then mm. Rory comes and repeats it, and she's like, we did that. Oh, you're right. So it's, yeah. It's funny when Amy does it, and then Rory's like, ugh, moron. <laughs> <laughs> so, so behind. That was so 30 seconds ago. I didn't like the whole standoff. We're like, oh, I'm not going to hug first. It's like, just give him a fucking hug. I would have liked that if Rory had come in and just given him a hug show. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. I thought that was going to happen. That would have been nice. And then Amy's like, hey, back off. Where's my hug? (laughs) That would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then all three of them would have been hugging. to see him rather than be like, oh, you're alive. Yeah. You're not dead. Yeah. Embrace your emotions, Doc, yeah, Amy, and Rory. Yeah, exactly. I think overall unsatisfactory, that the, that little door stopping track. Yes. Two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think about how I felt about it at the time. Yeah. I'm not sure. Now in retrospect, I would like myself to have thought that it was a forced inclusion of past companions. Yeah. Like it wasn't the, the Ponds episode. No. So all of a sudden, why why does the climax of the the episode land on to, them to lead us uh-huh. into 
pond life. So there's a nice segue. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And the little dribble of the next series that we'll get in 2012. Uh-huh. Yeah. But also, we <laughs> as the audience haven't seen Pond Life and we don't know that Pond Life is happening yet. So I don't think it is. I thought it came up, doesn't come after this one. You it does come after yeah. this. Yeah. So, so that, that segue, it works as part of a box set. Mm. Like it works if you're rewatching this after Pond Life has come out and you're aware of it. But that segue doesn't, it's still kind of like, oh, why? Because so when does Pond Life is is that supposed to be this two years when the Doctor's gone? So one, one year, one year? No, she said two. Two years. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, right for when them. Does yeah, it yeah, you're right. For Sorry. Them in their timeline. I don't know. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor has to do this because he's following the moral that Mighty Mum has taught him. Because he 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 now stays for Christmas dinner. He did it with Jackson, whatever his face, in the next Doctor. Yeah. And now instead of oh, yeah. shunning. Poor Donna Noble at the end of the Runaway Bride. Oh. He now sits in on people's Serves Christmas right. dinners. Sorry? <laughs> there you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so it, it makes more sense that he goes to that one and tells his friends that actually he's not dead and, and gives them a happy Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, true. He's got to leave the family to bond as a unit again. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So he must have assumed that they thought he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. But he also doesn't know how much time has passed. So it's not like he's left them hanging for two years he'd tried to go back and just failed wait it's, it's not like there's a, a date readout in the tardis and he knew exactly when his, <laughs> his date of his death yeah, yeah why why wouldn't he the tardis works these days like <laughs> yeah. he has no excuse no. i hadn't noticed the last time we saw their house by the way that they have a tardis blue door yeah mm. well i don't know because he just gave them the house they've traded up since and then the, no i think it's the same house but they've painted the door tardis blue oh, a bit. oh. It's like homage. oh that's yeah. quite nice nice they should have. They should have painted it to the, look like a TARDIS the whole door, thing. and then the Doctor could have walked up and gone. Never could resist like this door. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. One of my notes was, "Mummy comes every time, and she's taking the whole forest." <laughs> but that's just filth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about this until I. Well, I mean, I, I didn't think about this, and then I read it in the trivia, but. The, there has been in New Who a reference to living sentient trees before. We have the Forest of Cheem, who's mentioned in um, the second Eccleston serial, the End of the World or whatever. He, ma- he mentions world, yeah. it in this one, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that, that's that's yeah. how this came up. So, yeah, exactly. So he references them. Yeah, and if plant matter can fancy the Doctor, then Reg could definitely have sex with a mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes oh. perfect sense. Dude, we also have the cat people. How do you think that happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So is the Forester team the the tree lady that yeah. dies holding open a thing for a fan or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't realised that. And I think we meet the Forest of Cheem at a later stage as well. Maybe? Maybe not. It makes sense. Moffat seems to be obsessed with wood. <laughs> Hello. And and other building materials. Stone. He's like, if we can only make one out of sand. And Gatiss comes in, oh, you could make concrete out of the sleep in my eye. Brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about him trying to sonic everything and it not working? Oh, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I told you this would happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, also I noted when the Doc Happy cries... He only seems to happy cry from his left eye. It's just a singular tear. Well, is that because he's only half human? Ooh, canonical question. See, no. The, <laughs> the cynic in me thought, he's just been shot by a water pistol. It's not tears at all. 
I have a question about Matt Smith in general. Uh-huh. Has any doctor had to interact with so many children as co-stars as Matt Smith does? Because I can only think of the one in the Capaldi era, which is the, the girl who takes the moon. Yeah. yeah. Because also he, the he'd rather take her to the moon than admit that she was special. Also, the Capaldi episode where like London gets overgrown by all these plants. Can't remember what it was mm, called. Mm. Oh, there's a whole bunch of children. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, not not that nice. it's the caretaker at school for... Oh, yes. Good yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's part of that. <laughs> yeah. okay. I think you're probably right about Matt Smith having more. But of them, more, more individual episodes. Cavalli's got more children in a group yeah. to look after. But, but um, I just feel that Matt Smith is the kid friendly doctor. Yeah. Well, Matt, of, all of, of all these doctors, of new who doctors, Matt Smith is the one who's like the clown you hire for a party. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Capaldi yeah. is the neighbour who tells you to keep quiet. <laughs> no, he's not. He's the neighbour who turns up with his guitar and says, where can I plug in? <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh. Does, does Tennant ever interact? The guy who gives the kids cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> does Tennant ever interact with children at all? It's possible. Oh, wait, hang on. We can figure this out. Does he? He must. He must, surely. You'd think, but I mean, he's usually out for the poons, so... That's true. <laughs> Hang there's on. Two, there is a, a school. There's like the f- family. When he's John of, Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Oh family yes. Okay. There's a school and the, and school some of the evil school reunion. Some of the aliens are. They're kids. a little bit older. Yeah, they're older kids. They're probably fourteen year olds, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking that part of the reason that Smith can make you believe he's ageless is because you can be a wacky grown up child at any age, and he's the youngest doctor to this point. What, 27, 28, playing 1,100 years older than that. And I can believe it, because if you see an old man like Capaldi being grouchy around a child, you just assume he is exactly as old as the actor looks. Whereas Matt Smith, you can just extrapolate seamlessly out. And I think that's why he was able to make the role work. It's definitely one factor. Hmm. I'm still trying to think of other Tennant and (laughs) Eccleston episodes here. Can't think of a single one. There's a bunch of kids. No, who? No, that might be Matt Smith as well. <laughs> Otherwise, we've got Eccleston with the empty child, isn't it? Yeah, I forgot about I think, that entirely. I think that's probably it. I don't think actually kids crop up that often. I think I think you're probably right. Smith gets his he gets uh, the most. Yeah. So even yeah. though in the Capaldi era the show really sort of pitched towards the adults, in the first half of the Moffat run, he really did make an inclusive effort. Mm. And somehow I just forgot that about him. Does Doctor Who in general get a new? I mean, does new in general get darker over the years? Darker and less child friendly. I, I think during Capaldi's run, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there are still a... children in it, as we have said. Yeah, but, no, you're right, though. I mean, all the souls of the dead are, are just screaming in their graves constantly. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fucking dark. Even Eccleston, with his PTSD, is fairly family friendly. Hmm. He's the friendly face of PTSD. Yeah, he is. The, the poster child of PTSD. <laughs> that ep- the episode you were talking about with the, the empty child, I, I remember that being really terrifying. Yeah, and that and is thinking pretty like, oh, you my mummy? Not for children. Yeah. yeah, like, that's really creepy. I think that's one of the scariest new who ones, actually. Yeah, yeah but you can yeah. have really scary ones scattered amongst the series, but the sort of monolithic grey tone that descends over Summer Capaldi's run, when he's not standing on a tank playing a guitar... It is dreary and grey and oppressive. Yeah. That's how I remember it, so... So I, I kind of feel like, for the most part, who sits in there is the way a lot of films work, where there are different levels people can take out of stuff. Because now watching some of the classics, 
they pick some really kind of political things and there's some really boring scenes with people just dialoguing for 10, 20 minutes. And yeah, there's like actual Senate stuff going on. Yeah, like they're not kid friendly. Well, they're, they're kid friendly in the sense that there's nothing like X-rated going on, but they're not going to keep a kid's interest. And then you get a robot appear on the screen. You're like, ah, robot. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. blinging lights on a spider. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if that's the way you have to kind of look at most of this stuff. There's, there's the odd bit where it's, yeah, it's, it's wacky or zany or it's fun and exciting. And then you get a bit of either more adult stuff. I don't think it really gets that dark that often, does it? Most of the time people just enjoy it. Mm. Me out. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have, there are sentences I should just keep away from? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. So I'll go first then, shall I? <laughs> go for it. So it's it's Christmas, it's Narnia, there's a bit of snow, there are Christmas trees, there are baubles, there are lots of presents, there's some fun, Matt Smith is on good form, I think. But it's not the greatest episode out there, is it? But it made me cry, so... That's got to count for something. That's an achievement. <laughs> I think if it wasn't Christmas and there wasn't... Like, it's a bit schmaltzy, but if there wasn't just that tugging at the heartstrings bit at the end, I would rate this pretty lowly, I think. But because cause it's a nice little premise and Matt Smith does wonderful good, and that's not a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just, I want to give it a good mark, even though I kind of, there's, there's something inside me wants to actually give it a bad mark. So I'm, I'm just going to give it a 3.0. <gasps> oh my goodness, and Jim. And just sit yeah. it nicely in with the other Christmas ratings. <laughs> Okay. Who's next? Marie. <laughs> <laughs> we now can't rate Podcast Land without putting our fingers to our noses to Bagsy not go first. <laughs> or second. <laughs> so I guess I'll go second. <laughs> Again, my sort of instinct is that this was not the greatest episode in the world. There's a lot of holes in it. There's a lot of children in it. One fewer than you thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Technically, there's one child. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> but he has very big eyes. Anyway, it's okay, but it's not great. Quite a low score. But then, you're right, it made me cry. <laughs> and I feel like that should count for something. Like but it, were they tears of joy? Or no. <laughs> 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 but yeah, and there were some very good one-liners. It did make me laugh out loud on a number of occasions. And... If a show can make you laugh and make you cry in the same hour, is that not worthy of praise, perhaps? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I still don't think it's... What's happening now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to anticipate your rating. (laughs) We've got a little bet going over here. (laughs) I'm going to rate it slightly below average and give it a 2.4. Oh, Oh, just change it to 2.9 from 3.9. Okay, yeah. Yep, I'll oh, go <laughs> Mummy can't drive, Daddy can't fly, surrender, surrender. Anyway, we we didn't do a whole scene in this episode that I really loved, which is when the Doc has the smuggest tone in the world, and you can hear it through his back-to-front helmet, saying, you couldn't possibly pick the luck of the TARDIS, and then she can, but she only can because it's the wrong box, and you get to see him stagger into the wrong box, and it's... A lovely few minutes. I thought the Doc's clowning in this episode was some of the best 
he's ever done. And there was loads to like, we rattled off line after line. Sometimes we have to scratch together one or two things pieces of the writing that we thought were okay and in this we just reeled off a whole friggin show reel of them so I, th- I thought there was lots to like they weren't really foes as such unless you count the androzani harvesters but i don't mind that because as you say why can't an episode be more about its emotional content for once in a while why can't we have a cooperative puzzle to solve rather than a zero-sum game. Play Pandemic. It's amazing. Also, I have to get me some pairs of this family's hard-wearing off-road slippers mm. because they can handle anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the, th- in the 30s and 40s, British manufacturing was just far better and actually capable of standing alone from Europe. But, but I digress. Some of this episode is so stupid and silly. The wooden windows, the apparently wooden time vortex navigating ship. So it's not perfect, but it's a really enjoyable hour. It's an extra 15 minutes, and at no point did I feel it dragged. At no point did I feel it was excessively rushed. They just failed to quite write the end. Matt Smith is nine-tenths brilliant. Claire Skinner should make another wish and come back. Holly Earl's Lily is perfectly decent. It's very atmospheric compare the zany antics with the acid rain falling that section it was so emotionally wrenching for a family in peril over christmas i'm gonna give it a because it's christmassy and because i liked it more than a christmas carol 4.1 don't care that's what it's getting oh my goodness oh my goodness (laughs) that spiel alone has made me regret my low score and want to Lift it up. (laughs) What have you done? (laughs) It's fine to be an outlier. (laughs) Okay, so here's the benefit of going lost. I am going to up my score a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I stand by what I said before. I feel that this episode is noticeably rushed the further, the deeper into the episode you get. And in the beginning of the episode, I think we've talked about this particular special on Who Back When before, and I've said something along the lines of, oh yeah, it's crap. Like, I, I remember not liking it. And when I started watching this episode this time around, I thought to myself, why did I not like this? This is a great episode. Smith is fantastic. It's got all that wacky, that wacky intro. It's wonderful. I love the, you know, oh, look at the fun house that I've prepared for you guys. I love that scene. And the whole Reg subplot seems to be going somewhere really interesting and emotionally. Just, it just, it, it moves you. And it succeeds in that on a few occasions. But the deeper into this we get, the more disappointed I am that we don't get more of it. Drew, you mentioned the acid rain and the contrast between the, the, the emotion and the positivity of the family, family reunion and the acid rain, the, the negativity, the tension of that. We barely spend like a minute in the acid rain. To me, there is no contrast because, oh, let's set up the obstacle of how do we get out of this lighthouse where surrounded by there's acid everywhere. No, we're going to have a Harry Potter solution to this, by which I mean like, oh, there's a problem. Oh, can we solve it? Yeah, let's solve it. All right, we've solved it. And that to me is just really, really disappointing. I would have liked this to be a longer episode so that we could have spent more time in the forest, specifically in the forest post-act turn where everything is going downhill and they have to dig themselves back out so that they merit the resolution. Otherwise, it's just handed to them. But because of all the the emotional yada yada you guys have mentioned so far, <laughs> I am going to bump up my score a little bit. I had originally, <laughs> so because I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to give this, I 
wrote down a range and I was just going to pick something from that range based on what you guys said. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's cheating. I wrote down 1.8 to 2.1. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to bump that up a little bit. I'll, I'll, you know what? Marie, I'm gonna, let's hang out together. I'm going to put 2.4 down for myself yeah, as well. Sure. This is... Solid this is, rating. Yeah, this is bottom half of the scoreboards mm. but it's not as bad as i would like it like to claim that it was you've made me oh. feel a lot more confident about my scoring again and i'm not good at this guessing game because i wrote down as a prediction of 3.5 <laughs> <laughs> my, my original was 2.1 and then i and then i got swayed by drew's ah it's christmas so i bumped it up <laughs> <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okie dokie, we have two listener minis for this one, and <laughs> the first one, starting chronologically, the first one is a little different than uh, most listener minis that we've received. This one comes from Michael, Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Sing the format, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than send in just a a, a mere 250 words, Michael has sent in a pie chart. (laughs) Which he calls a visual mini. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome stuff. Please don't everyone send one of these in. (laughs) Because apparently they break the podcasting material. (laughs) The software didn't like it. Well, I love it, Michael. Screw them. (laughs) We love it so much, we're actually recording it twice. (laughs) Yeah, not just saying go to the website if Leon can even build a platform for it, whatever. (laughs) It'll be fine, it'll be fine. I'll include it in the posts, uh, if nothing else. All right, here we go. Who's starting? So the first 10% of this pie chart is for, oh no, another Sentimental Kid episode. The next 8% is... Mr. Tumnus from the Monster of Peladon not making an appearance. Very good point. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Uh, There's another 4% for there's stars coming out of the trees. 13% of reveal that the Warhammer 40,000 space troopers are nice, feeble, and aren't going to blow anyone away. There's some good sweet corn and tomato in that slice as well. (laughs) (laughs) And in a similar vein, there's 15% for the reveal that Mr. and Mrs. Treebed are nice and not going to rip arms out of sockets. There's a further 15% given over to make a wish. And a whopping 17% for tell him we're going home for Christmas. And last but not least, 18% and the face of Nigel Farage <laughs> for the finale. He followed you home. Humany woomany and the doctor's tears of happiness. Asterisk. The seventh doctor wouldn't stoop to such barf-inducing sentimentality. <laughs> <laughs> And the summary is in the form of a Q&A. The question being, what do you get if you take the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe and tear out all the pages with the witch? Answer, the six less popular Narnia books. <laughs> uh, and Michael gives us a rating of 1.8 out of 5 tears of immense joy delicately splashing into a shiny puddle of vomit. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward Lovely to my image. dreams tonight. <laughs> Thank you very much for that uh, uh, awkward to read out review there, Michael. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ladies and gents, follow Michael on Twitter. He is at bad underscore, underscore movie underscore club. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Next up, we have Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill. Star Wars Hill begins. This episode made me ridiculously happy. 
The part that made me the most happy was this. The doctor mentions the forest of team who fancied him. That's Jabe from the second ever New Who episode, The End of the World, with Eccleston. I wrote a fix-it drabble once where she survived because I liked her so much. I shipped her with Ruffalo, even though they'd never met. Star Wars still continues. Other gleefully wonderful things about this episode. The callbacks to Narnia. Not just the title, but the line on the door knocker and the line. What do they teach them in these schools? I grew up on the old BBC Narnias from the 80s. Uh. Those were the missing references we needed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars still continues with, I also enjoyed the humor of this episode. The doctor stating that one of his names is Get Off This Planet. And Amy shooting the Doctor with the water pistol. When the Doctor's grumpy because River told Amy he wasn't dead, Amy retorts, she's a good girl. 100% forgetting all the hours of trauma and worry Mel's put her through. I like that, <laughs> I like that little motherliness line from Aww, Amy. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And then they wrap this episode up with an angsty Doctor face when he's told the Pons always set out a place for him at Christmas Aww. and the wonderful little happy tear. Um, and Star Wars still gives it a, oh my goodness, this is unprecedented, a 4.9 <laughs> out of 5 tree souls of joy. Outline no more. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You have a huge heart. Uh, Star Wars Hill, thank you so much for that. As opposed to you, your and Marie's little Grinch heart. <laughs> I, do feel gr- I feel Grinchy now. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> As you should. Oh. Thank you very much for that, Star Wars. So. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, please, everyone, high five Star Wars Seal online. Star Wars Seal is at Star Wars Seal. <laughs> Next up, we're going to have a classic Who review, namely of Jim. The Ark in Space. After that, a bonus review. Of Pond Life. Pond Life. <laughs> <laughs> then a new Who review of Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, I remember that being really good. Yeah? Let's hope. I think so. Well, they had a whole year almost to work on it, so it better be good. Yeah, we are going to blast through 2012. Ooh. Perhaps by the end of April. Perhaps before Brexit. What? <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Why do you keep bringing it up, Drew? Sorry, it's If everywhere. we don't read about it, it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Jim, you are? At Jimmy the Who. Drew. At Drew back when? Marie. Not online. <laughs> she lives an analog life. <laughs> and I am at Ponkin. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on and ciao ciao. See ya. Bye bye. Toodle pip. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's who back slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who Review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?